Legends are not always legends because of their fame. There are a lot of legends that you and I have never heard of. One of them is named Stephen Hill. Stephen, who goes by his author initials S.J. Hill, is a pioneer of revelation. And this to many of us who as young ministers were looking for leaders who would give language to the gospel that was worthy of its gravity and grace. S.J. taught a controversial course on the Father Heart of God that to an orphan generation who were cringingly uncomfortable at the thought of calling God Abba or seeing themselves as sons or daughters. But I'm so thankful that he did. My history with S.J. Hill goes back farther than even my own lifetime. In 1969, S.J. Hill met my dad. And as with many who met my dad, his life was never the same. Ten years ago, when my dad passed, S.J. Hill reached out with kind condolences, and that began a conversation and heart connection that has only deepened my love and respect for this general of grace. So today, on the Reckless Grace podcast, I am exceedingly honored and grateful to welcome S.J. Hill into a conversation. And I'm convinced that the next hour will be like a shot of quantum-level revelation of the goodness of God that will challenge you to your core. The conversation begins right after this. Take a life-changing 10-week journey through the book of Hebrews with a new covenant lens with Bill Vanderbush and Don Wollabaugh. This video Bible study is a verse-by-verse journey that covers the whole book of Hebrews from a new covenant perspective. When you join, you are part of a guided journey through 21 video conversations between Bill and Don. Follow along or go at your own pace. As you go through the lessons, you can expect to gain more freedom in your thinking and life while also being more empowered to walk in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can name your own price for the study. We believe this message is so important that we don't want money to be a barrier so you can literally name your own price when you sign up. Go now to HebrewsStudy.com. That's Hebrews with an S, Study.com. Or go to BillVanderbush.com and click on the link right there on the home page. Are you ready to gain a fresh new covenant perspective and start walking in God's promises? Then go to HebrewsStudy.com and get started today. Hey, Stephen. Can you you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, my goodness. Are we finally connecting after all these years? <laughs> so I can see you, but you can't see me, right? Yeah, that's fine. We're just recording for the uh, for the sake of bringing audio into this. So Yeah, I didn't. I, if I'd have known you to see me, I would have shaved. I've got, <laughs> I've got like a four-day growth, man. <laughs> that's perfect. That's actually great. I'm, I'm, I'm running a little uh, scruffy this morning myself. Well, hey, for the sake of this podcast, how, since you and I have actually, gosh, I've known you for years now, and, and when I heard that you knew my dad, that was just kind of caught me, and, and I thought, we are destined to have a conversation, or at least get to get to spend some time together. But for the sake of the, the podcast, how do you usually, how do people refer to you as Stephen or SJ or Dr. Hill? I, I would go with SJ at this point. Okay. Um, SJ Hill. Just because of my books. And that that all started down at Brownsville. You had the other Steve Hill, the evangelist, and I. Oh, was, that's right. That's right. I was teaching at the school, so I walk in one day, and Mike and Nancy Brown call me into their office, and I'm thinking, I don't think I'm in any trouble, but why are they wanting to talk to me? And uh, yeah, it basically happened 
the way I'm going to tell you, they just asked me if I'd be open to a name change. And I thought they were joking, <laughs> but, but uh, our offices uh, were such that, yeah, there was a lot of spillover. Steve Hill pretty much focused on the meetings in the evenings at Brownfield assembly, but he'd come in there periodically and there would be people working for both the school and the, uh, the ministry at the church. And so, yeah, that's, that's when I started going by my uh, initials SJ. So, and then, and then the publishers just said, yeah, let's, let's stick with that because there, there were a couple other guys out there. There was a vineyard guy and I've never met either one of these guys, but there was a vineyard guy and another guy, both Stephen Hill. Yeah. So there were like at least four of us out there right around that same time. I remember coming back from Australia, 13 weeks of meetings, and somebody writing me and saying, man, it's amazing how God's using you down in Florida. <laughs> and I, I hadn't even heard of Brownsville. <laughs> so that was news to me. I, uh... Now, at this point in the podcast, the internet just cut out. I mean, it was just gone. And I had to come to the realization that S.J. Hill lives in Indiana. And not just any place in Indiana, but a place in Indiana where the internet isn't super reliable. So I've been living under a rock, apparently. I thought everybody was was going through blazing fast internet, but apparently not everybody is. So when we finally got him back, we picked up the conversation, not using the internet, but with me and a microphone and SJ on the phone. I stuck the phone on speaker in front of the microphone, and that's the way you'll hear the rest of this interview. <laughs> All right, this will work. So... Hey, we could act spooky spiritual and just say, man, it's real demonic warfare. Yeah, it's the know? spiritual warfare, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, when we when we dropped off, I, I was saying, yeah, I want to talk about, uh, and, and we're recording you know, now, but I want to talk about uh, how you got how you got to Brownsville and your whole journey kind of to where you are now. But I want to go back a little farther than that um, yeah. on the bookshelf behind me. That uh, you saw in the video there, there's pictures of my dad, and it's not necessarily meant to be a shrine or anything, but uh, I, I sort of feel like I'm standing on the, the shoulders of of somebody who really gave their lives for the life for the gospel. He and my mom both, and uh, I, when you and I connected years ago, uh, you reached out with this connection of, "Hey, are you?" Henry Vanderbush's kid <laughs> or something to those, those effects. I have so well, many. Well, I think, I think it was when your dad had passed. Right. Right. So that's and been about 10 how, years. How we were, we were mutual friends on Facebook. That's yeah. I, 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 I so I sent a private message and that's when I asked if, uh, you were Henry's son. So and, uh, yeah. I've got, I've got so many questions SJ cause I mean, I, and here's the crazy part. I don't even know which one's, at this point to ask. So I want to put a challenge out to you and that is, well, why don't you answer the questions you think I should ask about my dad? <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> like, like, tell me, tell me about how you knew, how you knew him and what you knew of him back in, uh, when did you guys meet? Well, it was always in the con uh, context of uh, the Wesleyan Methodist, uh, camp meetings. Okay. And, uh, and I can't remember when I first met him, but 
uh, I was a part of the last uh, quartet at Marion College, which is now Indiana Wesleyan University. So my dad pastored Wesleyan Methodist churches, and so I went to Marion College, and I think, I think it was my junior year in college, we were out traveling and singing during the summer. I was on scholarship with three other guys, and we ran into your dad because he would do, I mean, for lack of better terms, he would do a circuit of these uh, Wesleyan Methodist campgrounds. You know, he'd come in and speak, and I think I think uh, they really used him to speak to the youth. So I first met him in the summer of my junior year. What year would that have been? Do you remember? It was probably it was probably in '69, and I really didn't have a long history with your dad, but he made such an impact on our lives because uh, we went to a camp meeting, and I can't remember where it was it may have been southern ohio but you know being a quartet we wore the same suits and uh we had a double-breasted suit with uh bell bottoms and i wore calfskin boots and they were i'm, I'm getting getting some to a point but they they were uh maybe a couple inches above my ankle and they zipped up the sides. So we're on stage singing one morning and some of the main leaders, you know, are down below in the first row. And, uh, one guy must've noticed my, uh, calfskin boots with the zip up the side or zipper up the side. Yeah. And bro, he went after me. Well, that, that was and, not, and, and, that wasn't allowed. Well, see, when we went into different districts, it was very interesting. Like our district in Illinois, they would consider it more liberal, though it really wasn't. But then we would go into like Kentucky and uh, Southern Ohio. And uh, man, these dudes, you, you talk about, it took legal legalism to a whole different level. <laughs> so, so your dad, your dad was at that camp meeting when I was there. And I don't know, somehow he just connected with, with our, our quartet and must have heard what had been going on. And I wasn't even sure I had brought another pair of shoes. Well, I, I happened to have another pair. And so, uh, yeah, I was required to wear those shoes uh, the rest of the time I was there. And your dad just really ministered to me. You know, it, it, it was obvious. He had a sense of humor, but it was obvious that he was just not legalistic. And then the thing that I remember, we were in the back of this big tabernacle one night and uh, we're sitting with your dad, the four of us and your dad. And um, this, this Wesleyan Methodist evangelist was going off on everything. I mean, he went off on bowling. It wasn't just TV and, and, and it, it was disgusting. And your dad very graciously just leaned over to us and he said, Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but he got up and left, and then we kind of followed after, and we were outside, and he just uh, basically said, this, this is not the gospel, and he really apologized to us on behalf of uh, this evangelist and these leaders, and, uh, you know, that, that stuck with me, bro, to this day. 
That is wild. And, I, I love to hear yeah, that. It was it was your dad's encouragement to me, especially because it was my shoes. And there was a part <laughs> of me, you know, for, for a minute, I forgot I was on scholarship representing the school. And I just I didn't want to have anything to do with it because I thought that this is nuts. Yeah. You know, um, you know, dad, dad never was real, really into, I would say, legalism. I mean, I grew up with him. You know, and, and what you saw on the stage is what you saw behind the scenes. He's just who he was. He was, he wasn't a performer. He was, he was genuinely that joyful all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he just, he really, it was, it was authentic. His, his, I mean, and his grandkids would attest to the exact same thing. Uh, you know, in his mind, it was really all about Jesus and less about, yeah, absolutely. less about us. And, and I think, I think his joy really was uh, the thing that attracted people uh, to him. And th- this is the same group and it wasn't the only, only, uh, uh, part of the denomination, but that, that group there in Ohio, they, uh, the men wore long sleeves in the summertime. I had never run into it before. Cause like in the Illinois district, men could wear wedding bands, but in this district, they couldn't wear watches, no, no jewelry. Uh, and then the, the idea of the, long sleeves just kind of <laughs> <laughs> threw me for a loop. I'm going seriously. And wow. boy, that's all, that's all they focused in on, man. And then they bring these evangelist guys in, uh, to just, uh, stir up the crowds, man. I mean, it was, you know, at 74 now, if I'd be sitting in, in the back row there listening to this, I, I, I would see this as a form of mind control. You work them up into a frenzy and then you pretty much can, say anything you want you know it it was it was scary actually yeah and and then you know i graduated and uh within a matter of a few months was baptized in the holy spirit during that whole jesus people charismatic thing and uh Mm. but see this was also in the in the during the time frame without beating a dead horse here but this was also in the time frame where uh we were the last quartet ever uh, at Marion College or Indiana Wesleyan. And uh, we were asked to sing at the merger between the Wesleyan Methodist Church and the Pilgrim Holiness Church. And the Pilgrim Holiness Church did not like the term Methodist at all. That's why they're now the Wesleyans. So we, we'd come, you know, onto the into the backstage there were curtains and all that i don't even remember where this thing was held and uh and man you you could hear uh, the uh the rumblings and the disagreements i mean it, it was amazing what was going on behind the scenes and yet you know they come out on stage and they put on their their best face but that was at a time when there was talk about the nazarenes and the free methodists Pilgrim Holiness and the Wesleyan Methodist merging. And, uh, yeah. So it was a very volatile time. And I'm looking at this studying for the ministry, getting a degree in theology and taking Greek. And you, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, this is what I'm walking into. Yeah. The divisiveness, the, the legalism. So to meet your dad and for him to, uh, be an encouragement to us guys. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was 
a breath of fresh air to say the least. So don't, isn't that crazy? Me. I've been all over the world and yet that, that sticks in my craw, man. I, I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit, Stephen, about the, uh, or SJ, about the, <clears throat> uh, let me say that again. Talk to me, SJ, about the baptism in the Holy Spirit experience, because you say you got this right about, you know, right about that time. So last night, Tracy and I went and saw the Jesus Revolution movie, and, and you know, every song from that film is sort of embedded in my childhood, you know, sure. uh, because I mean, I was born in '73, but I remember, I remember the music in the of the '70s because my dad, dad, and mom took some time off in a sense, from traveling to spend a couple of years living amongst hippies in Austin, Texas, in a trailer park, which is ultimately how I ended up meeting my wife. So there's something about this whole movement that I just, I mean, I trace so much of my heritage back to, but dad identified so strongly with these people, even though he never dressed or looked or anything like them. Uh, But it was in that, that movement that I think uh, there, there was a kind of a reconnection of his heart to the things of the Spirit, which opened him up to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so, then, when you say that you had this encounter with the Holy Spirit at the same about the same time uh, during the Jesus Revolution movement, how did that all happen for you? Yeah, well, I was raised Wesleyan Methodist, and my dad was a pastor, and uh, you know, so growing up in the context of. Uh, that denomination going to uh, their school, uh, graduating in 1970, there was just a lot of spiritual activity. And uh, after I graduated, I went down to Florida uh, and worked on construction on Highway 1 to pay off some uh, college debt. And uh, met, uh, yeah, Baptists and different young young people uh, who we're meeting out on the beaches and uh, yeah, there was just a lot of stuff that was going on, but uh, to make a long story short, uh, I came back to Indiana and uh, met a friend who introduced me to some people in a small uh, home group and they had been baptized in the Holy spirit. And this was in Northern Indiana. And, you know, we're, we're seeing Mennonites and, Amish getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, yeah, so one one night I was prayed for and uh, I had a lot of fear because uh, growing up, I had been taught by the denomination that, you know, speaking in tongues was of the devil. So, so <laughs> it was like, what, what am I getting into? And yet I was so hungry for, for more of God. So once I broke through that fear barrier... Um, yeah, my, my life radically changed. And then, you know, here I am with a degree and a lot of the guys that I used to, uh, be with and study with in, in college, they were in their nice, comfortable church settings. And I was introduced to an ex biker alcoholic who had inherited a barn, uh, here in Northern Indiana. And, uh, and he, he wanted to start something that uh, would reach people that would ne- never set foot in a church. And I'm not sure the church would even have them. Uh, you know, druggies, alcoholics. Um, and so 
we we started working on the lower section of that barn and i started teaching there a couple of times a week and uh yeah, it was powerful. I mean, a, a movement was started as a result of that. I mean, we were dealing with heavy-duty issues. I remember a guy came in after we had just finished having a Bible study, and uh, he was high on acid, man, just totally out of it, and just stumbled into the place. And so several of us started praying for him, and... uh the Holy Spirit sobered him up immediately. Wow. Bill, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, <laughs> it went from we didn't know what we were about to get into. You know, I'm thinking, how wild is this going to get? To he sobered up almost instantly, and then we introduced him to Jesus, and he experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, went out behind the barn just kind of walking around, clueless about what had just hit him. And, and we, we had experiences like that for the longest time. And, uh, and then doors began to open up for me, you know, as a, as a 22 year old to, uh, have home meetings and travel some and, uh, you know, share my testimony and people were so open to the things of the spirit back then. It, it was amazing. And, and, and for you to tell me that your dad, uh, spent a couple of years in Austin, Texas with, with the hippies. I, I never knew that. But like I said, I, I lost track of your dad, but that's that's pretty amazing. My, my dad went through a, a similar experience. Um, he got baptized in the spirit on his own, and uh, they had just built him a new parsonage. And he was such a gracious man. He went to uh, the heads of the district and told uh, them what had happened to him. And they said, well, if you don't talk about it, you know, we're not going to kick you out because we need you where you are. But but how can, how can you not talk about it once you experience it? Right. So he he uh, he packed up all his stuff. My mom had a little pension from working at a bank. And me and a couple of friends of mine, we went to Illinois and uh, moved him. And we had found a place for him to rent up here, and he hadn't even seen it. And so for him to leave that and to move up and then be a part of the move of the Spirit in those early 70s, I, I, I to this day, am still blown away that uh, he, he wanted to do that. You know, So when you talk to me about what your dad did, that, that's, that's amazing, actually. Well, you know, uh, my parents got filled with the Holy Spirit down in Florida as well. They were on a ministry oh, wow. trip, on a ministry trip down there, and they had an encounter with the, some people uh, in a cafe, I believe in St. Cloud, called the Praise the Lord Cafe. And uh, Dad and Mom ended up speaking in tongues, which, of course, at the time, like you, Dad, Dad thought the only way you do that is, is uh, it's demonic, you know. And so now all of a right. sudden he's doing it, and he had a he had meetings that night. Uh, they had a revival service, the Nazarene Church in St. Cloud, of course, the Nazarenes and the Wesleyans cross crossed uh, streams a lot back in those days. And uh, that night, uh, Dad said that the voice of God came to him and said, I want to heal somebody, right in the middle of all he was preaching. And then Dad said that out loud in the service, and people started getting healed. That had never happened in his meetings before. And so uh, it wasn't too long after that that the Wesleyans came for his credentials, 
and and yet they kind of had to follow him around because he was booked out for like two years. But all those meetings just suddenly went away. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he they had a hard time keeping up with him because he was at the time so sought after. But at each place he went, it seemed like revival broke out. But I tell you, I, I had a fun story here uh, about my dad that that I I just heard within the last two weeks, and that was that. Somebody who was in college at Miltonvale Wesleyan College, where he went to school, uh, reached out to us and sent a story that uh, went something like this: that my dad was out on out preaching. You know, and all this I'm thinking of all this because of Asbury and everything that's going on right now. But he was out preaching and suddenly had this sense. And this is long before he ever experienced what he would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but had this sense from the Lord that he was supposed to go back to Miltonville and preach in in their chapel. But there was no opening for him to preach in the chapel. He contacted the president of the college and the president of the college says, there's there's no openings to speak, Henry. And dad said, well, I, I'm coming back anyway. And if there's a cancellation, I'd love to, to speak. Well, he got back and like the next day there was a cancellation. And so dad got up, preached one message in chapel and then he left because he had another revival he had to go to. But this guy says what your your dad may never have really known was when he got done preaching and, and then left, people didn't leave the tabernacle. They stayed, and that move of God hit that college, and they canceled classes for a week. Wow. And uh, this guy says, you know, they, they were forever marked and changed by the by the encounter they had with the Lord that came from that one chapel service that dad never, you know, he never really stuck around to find out what happened. He just did what he knew he was supposed to do. So, you know, the way that God was moving back then, it just seems like it's all happening, happening again uh, today. And I am, I'm just so thrilled about it. Uh, You, you, you have this moment with the Holy Spirit and then draw the line between that moment and how in the world do you get to the Brownsville revival, how does a how does a nineteen or twenty two year old Wesleyan kid get the Holy Spirit and then find himself years later preaching at one of the one of the biggest revivals in modern history? Yeah, there's there's a number of years in between those two experiences. Um, yeah, like I said, I started traveling and then uh, um, started meeting some different guys. And uh, one of them was Mike Brown, and uh, we we developed a relationship. And uh, I was really kind of into the repentance thing at that point. And uh, I had been running with uh, a missionary out of Mexico. And, uh, yeah, things were just not working out the way uh, I thought they would. And so I had stayed in touch with uh, Mike, and he invited my wife and I to come down and uh, see what was going on in Pensacola. And while I was down there, he uh, asked me to teach in a couple classes. And there was such a, a good response that uh, Mike asked me eventually if uh, we'd be open to moving. And uh yeah, to make a long story short, we ended up uh, moving to, to Pensacola, and I initially started out teaching for uh, an optional third-year class, and they gave me carte blanche. They just said, you you teach on whatever you believe Holy Spirit wants you to, uh, to teach to the kids, 
and uh, no exaggeration, Bill, um, I, I clearly felt Holy Spirit tell me to introduce these kids to their Heavenly Father. And that's what I really came to be known for. You know, you had this flamethrower, Steve Hill, the evangelist, and then you had another Steve Hill. And uh, like I said before, they asked me to go by my initials down there, but I came in and started talking about the father heart of God and the grace of God. And to be honest with you, it, it was hard for the kids initially because it was such a radical environment, uh, you know, get the sin out. And a lot of these kids were going to the altar all the time. And here's SJ and I'm introducing them to the uh, father of Jesus and a lot of these kids had not come from a Christian background. We ended up being the fastest growing Christian school in the history of America. And when I came in, in 1999, um, the, the school had already uh, been going for like at least a year, maybe two years. I can't remember. But anyway, um, when I came in, there were like 1,200 students. And so... Uh, yeah, a lot of them had not come from an Assembly of God background or a Christian background. Uh, a lot of them had some <laughs> really rough upbringings. And so they're, they're, at least for a while, some of these kids wanted nothing to do with my message because, you know, they loved what Jesus had done for them. They liked the activity of the Holy Spirit there in Pensacola. But to think of God as their father, they had so many father issues I actually did an elective. Uh, I think this was the second year I was there. And we had over 400 in the class. And yet there was another alternative class that some people could take that went on at the same time as mine. And I had some later that semester come up to me and say, SJ, don't take this personally, but we avoided your class because we just didn't want to deal with God as our father because of stuff that we grew up with. Wow. And it was eye-opening, Bill. I mean, it was like I was getting an education. Um, and, you know, since I've traveled so much after that, uh, the power of that one word, father, uh, it's amazing. The, the reactions I've experienced, you know, in different parts of the world, have just been uh, eye-opening, but uh, that's kind of how it started. And I remember the first day I walked on the campus, and I'm not trying to sound spooky spiritual. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I had such a strong impression that all the years of ministry and preparation were really uh, for this period of time. And uh, I don't know, I just came alive. Uh, I've always had a heart for for young people, young adults especially. And so walking on that campus with all of that stuff going on, I, I, was, I was blown away. There's so many things that just kind of come to mind because I've, you know, some, some of the people I've come to know and, and really admire uh, over the years have spoken so highly of the impact of those times. I know you had, you had emerging voices in those classes like Daniel Kalenda and I think... Uh, is it Eric yeah, he, was a, he was a student of mine. Part of that, and um, you know, so many, 
so many voices that have come, you know, come to the forefront of uh, uh, of of faith today, and and they speak so so highly of of that time. But you know, I think about it now, and I realize that's right. That the the message of sonship was was a fresh word back then because we were all relating oh, to yeah. God as King and we His peasants, you know, in the kingdom. Uh, and and now here we we discover we're part of a family, and God certainly is a king. But you're seated with Him on the throne. Like wow, what a concept! So sonship was, I yeah, I can definitely see how radical that was. It was never really a radical term for me because you know my dad was such a such an amazing figure in my life, and so the idea of God as Father was it, well, of course. I mean, why wouldn't He be a good dad? You know, I, I that's that's all I. That's all I knew growing up. So it was a, you know, but I, I feel like like today that there's something it seems of what's happening in this move that seems to carry a lot of the holiness of the Father's love, like holiness and love together without being legalistic or without right. being twisted and perverted. You know, like you, you put the two together and there's something of authentic agape that's being rediscovered uh, in this in this now, from from where you're standing at this point in in life, and as you look, I kind of want to talk to you about your journey from Brownsville on here too. But as you as you look to to what's happening and where we are now, how, how do you see it? Uh, I haven't been to Asbury. I've I've heard about it, um, but the one thing that I've been told is that it's really brought a revelation of, of the love of God. Um, you know, and, and by the way, I was going to tell you this, in 1969, when I was still at uh, what is now called Indiana Wesleyan University, um, something happened at Asbury even back then. So this is really not new with their history. Right. Uh, there, there was a move of the Holy Spirit back then, and then students from there came up to uh, our school and... Uh, yeah, there was a there was a real impact. Uh, it didn't last. I mean, weeks as far as shutting down the classes, but the chapel services and um, yeah, the sense of the presence of God was was uh, you know re- really amazing. And uh, you know, you talk about sonship, but you know, back in in the the nineties when I when I first had my heart opened up to God as my Father. This, this wasn't a message that you heard all that much. In fact, um, I tell people as I've traveled that we've, we have had a forgotten father uh, in church history for, for a few centuries. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for example, Luther had such a cruel, harsh father that he could never conceive of God as a loving father. And then a number of the reformers were either studying to be lawyers or they were lawyers. And and so their approach to the scripture and redemption was more a, a judicial legal matter than a relational thing, you know? So, so uh, the thing that I'm seeing now really warms my heart because within a matter of like 30 years, we're, we're seeing several generations really getting this. I mean, the Holy Spirit is just really opening up their hearts to the fact that uh, 
the father of Jesus is our father. And, yeah. and Jesus came to introduce us to his father. And uh, the Godhead is family. <laughs> you know, here we are, man, a part of the family. It's just, uh, yeah, we're in the inner circle. And uh, I'll tell you this. My dad was not a legalistic preacher. And I'm not saying this critically, but the background I came out of uh, produced a lot of fear and performance in my life. I mean, I can't tell you when I first met the Lord. I went to the altar so many times because I never felt I could measure up. I couldn't pray enough. I couldn't read my Bible enough. I couldn't jump through the hoops enough. And, uh, and then you've got that whole fear of not being secure in in uh in your salvation right and and so um when the holy spirit started opening up my heart to god as father um yeah it was over time a little bit at a time but um yeah the the thing that really i think took my journey to a whole different level was in reading a statement from the Westminster uh, Confession, and I'm not a five-point Calvinist. I don't even remember how I came across this statement, but I was in my study one day, and I may have been reading a book, you know, because I wasn't reading the catechism. Um, but this author was talking about these 17th-century theologians who were contemplating, contemplating the reason for man's existence, and they came to this conclusion. They said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yes. And Bill, when my my eyes fell on that little phrase, to enjoy him forever, my mind said, no, you don't even want to go here. You've tried to <laughs> sign up for so much stuff and been sorely disappointed. But in my heart, I thought, is this really the heartbeat of Christianity, you know, that we were called to to uh, enjoy God, you know, so then it just messed with my mind for days. And then I think it was sometime after that I read a statement by another author, and he said the best way to understand where these theologians were coming from is to replace the word and with the word by. So you look at this statement by these men of God, and you then read it like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Because what greater way can you glorify God than by enjoying him? And then I started thinking, okay, but how can I enjoy him if I don't believe he enjoys me? You know what I'm saying? He's basically tolerating me. <laughs> and maybe one day when I get glorified in the next age, he'll enjoy me. But, yeah, that... that really messed with my head and then it started uh raising questions that i had to to face you know what about the fear of the lord how can i give my heart to somebody that i'm scared to death of and and uh how does this relate to what we would call in a lot of circles you know holiness and 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 so you know now for the last uh i don't know quarter of a century i've really been known for teaching on the subject of enjoying God. In fact, in fact, yeah. Yeah, that book is amazing. One, I mean, you have a book to buy that title. That, uh, I'm known for is Enjoying yeah. God that I wrote back in 2000. and uh, Which is really all about the Father's heart, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that was out of my own experience. 
You know, I don't think I ever heard a message on the Father heart of God. And I grew up in church. <laughs> so it's like I knew Jesus loved me. Didn't know much about Holy Spirit, but uh yeah, so back back to Brownsville, man. Uh you talk about Daniel Kalinda, man. I had a bunch of these young um radical kids and they're trying to emulate Steve Hill, the evangelist, you know? So they stand out in front of strip clubs uh, on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And these guys would come out of that kind of environment and they would just, you know, go off on them, you know, turn or burn, you know? So <laughs> I'm in my class one day and Kalinda, these guys are sitting there and I'm, I'm in my fifties at the time. And I was very gracious, but I said, don't you ever go out on the streets with that turn or burn message that that is not the gospel and oh man that stirred stuff up in fact i had a guy tell me after the fact he was ready to report me to dr brown you know <laughs> but then but then the longer they sat in the classes and the more they heard about the love of the father it melted their hearts and daniel daniel is just yeah he he's he's a, a big time supporter of of uh what i yeah. share and teach and in fact like you he endorsed my my last book but uh yeah it's amazing the uh the stuff that that came out of there it's just sad that uh it ended on a low note with uh guys not being able to get along and you know yeah. ended up splitting the thing you know yeah i i uh, our church in austin was an assembly of god church the first church I ever was a senior pastor at was birthed out of Brownsville, actually. But it oh, was wow. it was birthed before the revival started uh, by one of the associate pastors of Brownsville who left a couple of years before the revival uh, hit. And so when the revival, it, it, yeah, John Kilpatrick used to come out every year and, and speak for us. And, and um, so we developed a relationship with him before the revival hit. So when it happened, we were getting, you know, reports in real time from, from Pastor John about how things how things were going down there, and uh, and my senior pastor at the time, Randy Feldshaw, who had for, formerly been an associate oh, pastor. Oh yeah, Randy, sure. Yeah, so so I was a youth pastor under Randy. Oh, and, you were. Yeah, yeah. Did his daughter's wedding. I mean, we long long history uh, together. But but uh, so that was that was where I was at the time that Brownsville was happening, and Tracy and I took a took a course trips down to Brownsville and saw saw what the Lord was doing there and saw the authenticity of it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, watching it all kind of end and implode. I think, you know, at, at that time we were sort of <laughs> sort of banking on that this was the last great revival before the end of the world in the year 2000, right? Because Y2K and all that stuff was happening. Yeah, yeah and then it's been so, prophesied that that would go on until uh, Jesus came back. And exactly. then you got the whole Y2K thing right, uh, right in the middle of that, yeah. Exactly. So, so the dis, you know, the the current state of disillusionment. You know, I I try to tell people the current state of deconstruction and disillusionment. I can trace all. The, I mean, of course, you can trace it all through history, but I can trace it in my lifetime, my generation, all the way back to the unfulfilled expectations of the certainty of people that we trusted, who were absolutely positive that that Jesus was coming back in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety one, ninety three, ninety nine, and two thousand. And of course, you know, we find ourselves in 2001, we're all still here and looking at each other going, wow, 
if they're wrong about that, what else are they wrong about? So suddenly asking questions didn't seem so much like doubt. It seemed like, like, uh, like due process, due diligence. Like the, 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 there's some, there's questions of challenge and then there's questions of curiosity and goodness sakes, we had some curiosity. And so we started asking some questions and you know, me as a, as a young assembly of God pastor, I was kind of the black sheep, I think of the assemblies of God at the time. Cause, uh, I was asking questions and, and getting some really, really strange looks, but they were genuine questions of curiosity. Sure. Yeah. So, so much of it had to do with the, the presentation of the gospel as an ultimatum. And I felt like the Lord was saying, it's not an ultimatum, Bill. It's an invitation to a celebration. And I'm like, what are we celebrating here? Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and <laughs> who's holding this handbasket and why? And why is it a handbasket? You know? So uh, suddenly I, I have this this overwhelming sense that I wake up, I remember waking up with this, with this thought in my mind that has gripped me for, for years. And God has brought people into my life that feed into it consistently. But the thought was, Bill, God is always better than you think. And you cannot imagine him better than he is. And it felt heretical because I thought, man, I've got a really, really vivid imagination. But from that point to this day, God has consistently brought people into my life that challenged my perception of his goodness. And when I read when I read, uh, goodness, your uh, your book, uh, I, I can't remember if it's the one you wrote before Enjoying God, but the What Is God Really Like book. Yeah, that got, was the latest, yeah. Yeah, when I got that manuscript uh, and then went back through your, your library, man, I thought, here here's a guy that is speaking, you know, my language. Um, and then, of course, to find out your connection to my dad and the, and the sort of dual journeys that you guys were on. Uh, I, I begin to realize we're we're just sort of part of a big bigger tapestry than we even begin to realize or know. But what a what a tapestry it is! Yeah, for sure. Um, t- talk to me about your latest your latest book about what is God really like? Yeah, the subtitle is is important because you know you, you look at that that title and it's like, what's this guy saying? He has a corner on information about God that most don't, but. Uh, <laughs> The subtitle is Unique Insights into uh, uh, His Fascinating, his fascinating yeah, Personality. That's and the so, part that caught my uh, attention is the, the idea that God has personality. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I love that. But, you know, it was, it was uh, <clears throat> a number of years before I even started working on that manuscript that uh, Holy Spirit just, I don't know, had been planning some some thoughts in my mind it's like you know we look at the typical list of attributes and they're legit you know god's omnipresent he's personally present everywhere omnipotent all powerful omniscient all wise immutable and we could go on and on and on and yet i'm thinking we 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 need to add to the list and i and i wasn't trying to be sacrilegious or coming across, you know, like I'm this brilliant theologian, but I thought, what about God's beauty? You know, in most uh, theological books, you're you're not going to read anything about the beauty of God. Um, What about his joy? What about his humility? You know, that's a subject in itself. I've been blown away by the humility of God. When you look at the incarnation for this all-powerful God to stoop and come down to our level 
and to nurse on the breasts of a teenage virgin girl and then to identify with us in our humanity with all of the stink and the smells and everything else and then to enter into our darkness to to uh, usher us into his family um yeah it's it's staggering wow. and uh um so so I, I i just started to to work on this manuscript just uh wanting to deal with what i felt were important attributes that just really haven't been talked about that much like the first chapter is titled the one who laughed first uh so you know i say I don't believe the the universe began with a big bang, but a big shout. And uh, <laughs> you know, in the book of Job, it talks about this uh, this celebration. You know, where the sons of God uh, are shouting for joy while they're seeing Father, Son, Holy Spirit creating all of this. And I I thought to myself. Um, you know, if God is this ogre, you know, this cop in the sky, how in the world could you have such a celebratory atmosphere and environment taking place during creation? Right. And so, right. you know, and then and then I wrote a chapter on the joyful Jesus, and uh, I have a chapter entitled Breathtaking Beauty. Uh, I've got a chapter on the dancing deity talking about the creativity of God. But th- this is the God that I have come to know. Uh, that Jesus revealed to us, and uh, I agree with you. God, God, God is more good than we can even imagine. And whenever we check out, I, it, it's not going to be a condemning thing, but it's like, are we going to be in for a shock? <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Well, you know, many years ago, I felt that this whole idea of God better than I think. I felt like I had the ability, and I, I knew I had the ability to create a boundary line for his goodness in my imagination. Like, God can be this good, but no farther than this. Yet, the problem with that is I could imagine beyond my perception of his goodness, which is, I think, where all all of us find ourselves in a place of, at some point, when when he doesn't show up as good as we want him to be or wish he were, in our mind, we imagine what he should do, or he should have done this, or he could have done that, or if, and, and what we're actually saying without even realizing it is if I were God, I would, you know, and the problem with having a perception of God, God's goodness that we can think beyond is it eventually will lead us to think, you know, well, if I were God, I wouldn't let this happen, or if I were God, it, that wouldn't be allowed. And so we elevate in our imagination ourselves beyond the reach of our perception of the goodness of God. That's why I had to eliminate the boundary line, because right. I felt I had stepped into a dangerous place in my psyche that, and this may seem harsh to say, but that modern evangelicalism encouraged, you know? For sure. And, and it didn't encourage me to think that I was better than God, but it, it encouraged me to believe that the goodness of God had a boundary that I could think beyond. And that boundary was a hard stop called orthodoxy. And then I looked down through history and I began to realize that that boundary line has changed. 
you know, where in every generation it seems that God pushes the envelope on our perception of his goodness. He always, even the incarnation, he showed up to mm-hmm. challenge how good that generation thought he could be. And, and I, he's done that in every generation that I can see. And, uh, and yet, within those generations, there are a few, um, you know, some people might call it the remnant, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but there are a few that will agree with the revelation of goodness that he's putting before them. And strangely enough, those few seem to set the tone for the following generation because their heresy becomes tomorrow's orthodoxy. And next thing you know, we have we have now become expanded in our perception of his goodness. I remember somebody told me years ago, Bill, anytime you 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 see some something or hear a message that diminishes the goodness or the power, the majesty, the awe of God, turn and run the other way. But anytime you find a message that expands your perception of his goodness, like dive headlong into it, that's the gospel. And that's what actually I found when I've when I've read your writings. I've I've found a consistent a consistent, gentle, almost Jesus-sounding. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's got a, it's got the sound of heaven on it, but it's a Jesus-sounding voice that that challenges the boundary line that I've created in my perception of His goodness. And and then of course, and this is where the I think I get I get so much kickback, and that is that people are always trying to figure out what theological conclusions I've come to. And I try to tell people all the time, look, this is not about creating new theological conclusions. This is about erasing the borders that we've placed on what goodness God is capable of and willing to perform and, and willing to actually follow through with. So I've come to this realization that God is always going to blow my mind with his goodness. He's always going to just undo me with, uh, with just a revelation of of his father's heart of of the holiness of his love of the of the embrace of this as my friend uh, Ben so eloquently says the embrace of the trinity that I've been invited into in this crossfire of adoration and uh yeah uh, I'm just That's a great way to put it. <laughs> I'm just constantly taken by it. And and I'm also taken by how many people, you know, contact me on the down low and say, you know, uh, I don't I don't tell anybody that I'm listening to you or reading your stuff, but but man, I'm just getting so much from it, and uh, I hope you don't mind, but I quote you all the time in my messages, but I don't give you credit. And I'm like, look, we're all just plagiarizing God here, I, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But it is, well, you it, know, it's I amazing. Think, I think uh, a lot of this has to do with um, trying to put the message of Jesus with some of the harsh teachings of the old testament and uh right uh we we fail to understand that uh the old testament was a progressive revelation i mean when god met these hebrew slaves they they were polytheistic they believed in many gods uh the scriptures clearly indicate that when they came out of egypt they were carrying idols with them and so again when we talk about the humility of god this this also blows my mind God met them where they were, <laughs> yeah. you know, temple <laughs> sacrifice. That stuff wasn't new with, with the, the Hebrew people. I mean, that had been going on. They were surrounded by all of that. And yet slowly but surely he was weaning them from their misconceptions. And it cul- culminated in, in the com- coming of Jesus. I, I love the, the uh, account of the transfiguration where 
Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus on the mount, and you've got Peter, James, and John there, and uh, uh, Moses representing, you know, Torah law, Elijah the prophets, and then in this booming voice, Father says this to Peter, James, and John, this is my son, listen to him. And after that is said, Moses and Elijah disappear. So we honor the Old Testament. We honor Moses. We honor Elijah. But Jesus is the word of God. He's the Logos, L-O-G-O-S. And at the end of the day, we listen to him. And so everything has to be interpreted through the lens of Christ. And that over the years has really helped me. You know, like the fear of the Lord. That, that was one of the main things that I had to wrestle through. And I remember, you, you talk about God's setups. I, I remember reading a book by a Jewish scholar, Abraham Heschel, and he has since passed. Oh, I loved him. But he's had some amazing writings. And I was reading one, one of his uh, most well-known books, and I uh, I can't remember what it what it was titled. But anyway, um, he had a chapter on the fear of the Lord, and he said that the word fear there can literally mean fear, but to the Jew, it was all about awe. I call it holy fascination. Yes. And he, he said the true fear of the Lord will na- never make you shrink back from God. I'm paraphrasing. But he said it will actually invite you to draw near. Yes. Because yes. I thought, how can I give my heart completely to someone I'm scared to death of? Come on, let's just be real here. You can't do that. Right. You know, a, a woman can be married to a, a dictator, a Hitler type, and she can cook his meals and uh, uh, do his laundry. And she can even go to bed with him, but he, he'll never have her heart because she was never made for that. Right. And I'm thinking, how much more God, you know, how, how can we open up mm. to God if, if we're constantly scared and insecure? Yes. But when I begin to discover that this is all about awe, fascination, you know, the, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the humility of God, it, 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 it should blow us away where, you know, I'm not trying to over-exaggerate here, but I'm a very emotional guy. And so it's like, you know, this stuff in one sense should take our breath away. It should be, it yes. should be something that awakens our hearts. It sets our hearts on fire to where we go, whoa, you know, can God be this good? Well, then then that draws you into a greater discovery of, of who he is. And it invites you to uh, partake of, of his goodness. And, and uh, you want more, you know? Uh, yeah. And so I, I, t- I totally agree with you on this, that um, I, I don't think we can make God too good. I think, I think some of us as leaders were scared to even <laughs> approach that but how can you make God too good? It, yeah. It's just impossible. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that none of us are going to arrive in that state of eternity fully fully in, enveloped in the gloriousness of, of being more even spirit than, than flesh. And those still in glorious bodies, you know, unaging, full of upgrades... You know, completely in union with with uh, revealed union with the uh, uh, with uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think any of us are going to arrive in that moment and go, eh, I give it three stars." 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not gonna, you know, it's you know like, I, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've shared with students and anybody who will listen to me that uh, I think we've so misinterpreted Isaiah 6. You know, yeah. you've got the seraphim uh, before the throne of God, and all they're doing is crying, holy, holy, holy. I remember as an immature Christian reading that and thinking, holy cow, is that what I've got to look forward to when I check out, you know? <laughs> and, and yet when you get into what the word holy means in the Hebrew, uh, it's it, it's speaking of God's uniqueness. You know, we, we see it as God's the opposite of sin, which he is. But we only speak of holiness many times in the context of sin issues. And yet it's about his beauty, his uniqueness. I mean, I, I, I put it this way, he's in a league all by himself. So when, <laughs> when you've got the, the seraphim crying, holy, 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 they're, they're not doing that out of fear. They're not doing that out of obligation. They're, they're seeing aspects of God's beauty and glory that they've never experienced before. And I've got to believe they're feeling this. I mean, can you imagine the, Absolutely. the utter uh, holy intensity that, that's just perfect love? Absolutely. Engulfing them as as the beauty of God is seen. You know, it's like, I, I, I would say it's like many facets of a diamond. Yes. You know, yes. How, how can you comprehend the, the full glory and, and beauty of God? But they're taking this in continually. And that's all they can say. Holy, holy, holy. It's not about sin. It's about beauty. It's about uh, the essence of who God is and being yeah. caught up in that. Man, I, I, I can't imagine, you know. Well, you know, the paradox of Scripture is is so seen in in that, you know, the, the idea of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was that no man can see God and live. And then you get David apparently had an invitation from God to seek my face. So, you know, the God that can't be seen, who lives in unapproachable light, is inviting people to stare into the sun. You know, it's like... Exactly, you know, exactly. And, and, and that's, I, I feel like that's part of what this current move of the Lord is, is beholding Him. And when He comes down to it, this is the only... People say, oh, what's your message? What's the message of the, that, that you go around preaching? And I'm like, well, it's the, I think the only message really when it comes down to it that there is, is look at Jesus. Look at him, see him, look at, I mean, just, yes. just yeah. look, you know, it's the thief on the cross that says, you know, that, 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 uh, doesn't even know the name of the guy hanging next to him, maybe, and finds himself in heaven and goes, here's my only message. And that is that guy says, I can be here. I mean, he's just pointing at Jesus. I mean, that's, that's his only yeah, testimony sure. is Jesus. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the serpent on the pole, you know, moment where, where we have no idea why in the world there's a brass serpent hanging on that pole, but I know that I was dying a snake bite a second ago, and all I did is look at that, and now I'm not. So I have one message, look at that. You know, and so when Jesus says, that's me, I realize, okay, as a minister of the gospel, I have one message, look at him. And if I don't believe that he's good, then I will, I will not draw people to look at him. I will draw people to look at me and craft a message that hopefully is enticing enough to get them, you know, their ticket stamped for heaven. But, but I realize, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, this is all simpler than I ever thought it was. And that is, I mean, I just boil everything I ever say and all the sounds I make and the words I ever say down to one simple phrase that can be summed up in three words. Look at Jesus. Just, for sure see him behold him there's something in beholding that is 
transforming. And, and yet, you know, when we have those beholding moments, we even hear the Father say, you know, listen to him. You know, the first thing we want to do is start a building program. And, uh, <laughs> right, just, for sure. But that's just how we are, you know. But, uh, you know, eternal life isn't just about checking out and going to heaven. You know, right, right. Jesus in John 17, 3 defined it as knowing God, and that's an intimate knowing. Yes. It's living a life with God, knowing that God not only loves us, but likes us and can't get enough of us. And, you know, the, the whole incarnation wasn't about Jesus coming to uh, die so he could appease his angry father. This this was in the heart of Father, Son, Holy Spirit before time even began. Yes, and, yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, God had knew how screwed up we were, <laughs> and yet He en- they entered into to our our darkness to uh, free us so that that we could enjoy living life uh, with them. And uh, oh my! Isn't you. it isn't it amazing? <laughs> isn't it amazing though that I mean, and to me, this is you mentioned this a little bit ago the humility of God, and immediately the first thought that came to my mind was. What a humble God to create creatures made in his image and likeness and then give them the freedom to ignore him, pretend like he's not there, and even live with the perception of distance and separation as if it were reality. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and then invite us. You know, that the word that is the most powerful force in the universe that created all things, in whom all things consist, he offers that word simply as an invitation to to love, to surrender to his love, to surrender to his heart. And, and you know, when I became when I came, suddenly became aware of the you know, I never signed up to be here. I mean, it's not like somebody handed me a clipboard with a form on it and said, you know, I'm going to send you on a dangerous, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to enter into life. And now you're going to run through a gauntlet of having to make the right decisions, hear the right message, receive the right thing, believe the right thing, so that you can you can somehow find the needle in the haystack path to get out of this thing alive at the end. You know, I mean, most people won't, but uh, and I, when I suddenly had this realization that I didn't sign up to be here, I mean... And that, that realization actually first came in children's church, actually, when I heard the gospel in a children's church message. It's a very Turner Burn kind of thing. And it's like, hey, I didn't even ask for this, and now my eternal soul is in my hands, and I'm six. You know, <laughs> like, what is, happen- yeah, in, in what is happening right now, you know? <laughs> the, you know when, I, when I come to the realization that, that you're right, he's, he's had this in mind from before the foundation of the universe, and this was all formed with a shout of joy then I, I can now rejoice in the processing of this journey that I'm on, that every moment is redemptive and redeemable. And, and I, I, I just, I can't, I can't get away from his goodness in these, in these moments of, of just breathing and living and moving and having my being in him. Uh, I, I just, it's, it, it is overwhelming. I almost, I almost, you know, have to, at some point, like back up a second and go, okay, okay. I need to, I need to, I need to eat this feast in smaller bites. Cause I'm, I need to enjoy every morsel of this. There's something about it that, ah, oh, man, I tell you what, just, just talking to you, SJ is, is, uh, I, I, 
I don't know, there's, there's just so much, so much life on the gospel, and uh, I just honor what you carry and have carried for so long in this. Uh, I don't know, any, any last thoughts that just are coming to your heart? Well, first of all, I remembered that Heschel's book is uh, titled "God in Search of Man." Mm. What, a, what a great title, you know. <laughs> and and uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I've gotten hit with this: "Yes, God is love, but" statement for years. <laughs> and we've got to remove the "but." No, it's not God is love, but it's God is love. And uh, like you said, speaking of the humility of God, you know, people can debate. Uh, free will, but we all can agree that each of us has the ability to make choices. And uh, the sad thing is, God gets blamed for a lot of the uh, crapola that goes on in the earth, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, it, it's really sad when when you begin to understand the heart of the Father that Father's nothing like that. But but as our Father, I mean, think about this, Bill. <laughs> He lets us make choices knowing that there are good consequences and bad consequences. And he hates for us to go through stuff that uh, brings bad consequences. But the thing that I've come to realize is that Father God is is such a great father that even in our messes, he's uh, trying to bring redemption out of our junk, you know, and... um, and uh, I can always fall back on that because we're still a work in progress. But in Christ, we're complete. And uh, I, I just think, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not defined by our mistakes. That's not our identity. Yes. We may define ourselves by our mistakes, but he, see who, he sees who he really made us to be for himself. And I always come back to that. So I just, I just hope that our conversation today has been a real encouragement to people. Um, I, I love studying. I, 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 <laughs> I have a vivid imagination. I, I ask all kinds of questions, but at the end of the day, uh, I get up in the morning and just realize I've got another other day to enjoy God <laughs> and God, God loves being with me. I'm his boy. You know, um, there's a lot of, a lot of guys named Steve Hill, but I'm one of a kind. There's never been another human being like you, Bill, or me, yeah. uh, and there never will be. And that that just melts my heart because it makes me realize that even in my in- immaturity and struggles, I, I can I can bring my father pleasure in a way no other human being has ever been able to or will ever be able to. Uh, to do so um yeah thanks for the conversation man i get i get stoked every time i (laughs) talk about this stuff i'm i'm 74 going on 75 man and there's still something that burns in me that uh yeah i i just i just love meditating on the beauty of god and his goodness and dialoguing with others about it i think we're destined to have more conversations sj and and uh, i'm i feel like i've known you for so long, just the connection with my my dad and and I appreciate you bringing that up, bringing that up to me so many years ago and and connecting. And your mom's still alive, right? She is, she is, and she'll be listening Amazing. to this podcast. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, get her in a conversation with you. She is, she is adorable. She goes to, uh, she went to a few years ago to Africa with Heidi Baker, and she wants to go back. She's <laughs> yeah. She's How old is she? Eighty three. 
83. About to turn 84. And she got out yesterday and she walked. Uh, we live down here in Florida. And she uh, uh, she likes to go to just, just as a place to walk, minister to people, pray for people, love on people. She likes to go over to the Disney parks. And she'll, so she'll go to um, Animal Kingdom, walk back to Africa. And she's gotten to know the people that work back there and, <laughs> and things. And so she walks and prays back there. It's her way of connecting to the nations until Mozambique opens back up again. And then she uh, yesterday she messaged me that she was going to Epcot and she walks the nations and prays. Prays for the nations. You know, it's just kind of her way of just saying, oh, here's a good place to walk and prayer walk. And, you know, and then she'll text me how many thousand steps she got in and so at 83, she's she's still ready to go and preach the gospel. She's not even close to it's done amazing. yet. And so, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a. I, I realize I have a heritage that's bigger than me, and 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 I'm I'm super honored by it. And uh, yeah, wow! Thank the Lord that He's His grace is bigger than our bad consequences. We I just I'm so grateful for that. And thank you for just being faithful to the the unfolding goodness of the Lord and being a voice, uh, being a voice to consistently call the body of Christ to behold him in his beauty, his humility, his joy, and yeah, all those absolutely. fascinating traits of his personality. Um, yeah, I mean, could I just encourage uh, people please. to check out my podcast? Is please, that, go is ahead. Right? Go ahead, yeah, go for I, it. I, I just started doing that like six months ago, and it's uh, Enjoying God with S.J. Hill Podcast. And it's on YouTube channel and yeah, enjoying God with S.J. Hill podcast. And yeah, they can get they can get my books on Amazon. Enjoying God, there's one, A Love for the Ages. It's all about the uh, divine romance of Scripture. Mm. And then my latest one, What's God Really Like? So I'm not tooting my own horn, man. You know, it's just Bro, like uh, that's exactly you, what I want written, you to you've do. You've written stuff, and it's like <laughs> when you get a, a revelation of this, you want everybody to. To at least hear it, you know. Right, right. And uh, well, you know, I, I feel like I've I've written books. I, I never I never wrote a book with the idea of of uh, it being a bestseller. I wrote a book because right. I don't I don't know my great grandfather, and I want my great grandkids to be able to have a document that they can pick up and know the heart, what was in their great grandfather's heart, passed down to them. And yeah, for sure. To me, that's that's what matters. Is I want to guide a narrative for them that points them to behold Him. And uh, your books have done that for me. I know you're a, you're a father to to many, many, many people. And uh, and wow, I'm just what a, what a tapestry we're a part of. Hey, my brother, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and the conversation. I just I can't tell you how valuable this was to me. And if you're all right with it, I'd like to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's it's uh, it's a pleasure. I love doing it. Thanks, SJ. Take care, and uh, we'll talk okay. again soon. Well, thanks for listening to the Reckless Grace podcast today. And, man, I just got to tell you, if you have somebody in your life who has walked with God faithfully for more than a few decades and you're not having regular conversations with them, you're missing out. Uh, these are not things that are going to be on demand uh, forever. These are people in our lives that God has placed uh, carrying treasure, a heritage of treasure that if you'll put a demand on, you'll find your life and your faith so much richer for it. I encourage you to go to Amazon and look up S.J. Hill's books 
and uh, experiencing the Father Heart of God, what is God really like. Uh, his books have been revolutionary for me and so many others. And I promise you, they're going to break your brain a little bit. They're, they're going to challenge your perspective on the goodness of God and cause you to see him better than you've ever seen him before. Uh, I'm so honored to have had him on the podcast today and we'll do it again, but uh, hopefully opened up a whole new audience to S.J. Hill, his writing, his work, and ministry. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you want any resources from us, just go to BillVanderbush.com. There's all kinds of things out there. The Hebrew study, the Ephesians study. We've got a new study on James coming out soon. Uh, my buddy Don Wallabaugh, he and I did these studies. And so go check out his page too, DonWallabaughMinistries.com. And uh, so many other things I could mention to you. We've got a pretty full schedule for the year. Go to the schedule page and see if we're going to be anywhere in your neck of the woods. And we'd love to have you come out and join the party with us and just explore the mystery of what it means to walk in sonship, to be a child of God, to be heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing the grace and, and gratitude that comes from the knowing that he did that. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. And knowing this means the gospel gets better and better all the time because we just become more alive and awake and aware to it. So as we live aware of the thin places all around us, within us, upon us. Give the glory of God that you carry away to somebody who needs hope, who needs healing, who needs comfort, who needs joy. Let Jesus within you move through you to impact the world around you. Have a great day. Grace and peace to you all. We'll see you next time.